This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have in this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. The guest on my podcast this week is Olin Hyde, CEO of LeadCrunch. I'd like to leave this earth better than I found it. So I really like to find big problems that really help people live better lives. So a very idealistic way to look at it is technology that ennobles the human spirit. The problem we solve is that targeting, in other words, how to pick your next target for your marketing or your sales is actually very broken. And the symptom of that is salespeople usually hate the leads that are given to them by marketing. I know personally how incredibly difficult it is to find the right audience to market to, and then how to engage that audience on the path for them to become a customer. And so that's the problem we're solving. Our customers consider our technology to be their unfair advantage. Our revenues have grown 20% per month for two and a half years. That's an indication that technology works. This is Olin. He wrote his first line of code at the age of 12 on a home-built computer. Since then, he started eight companies. Today, he's the CEO of LeadCrunch, a B2B lookalike marketing platform that uses artificial intelligence to find your ideal customer target audience and then engage with them with your content to accelerate the sales process. The secret behind the success of LeadCrunch is the DeepFind machine learning platform, of which Olin was one of the principal architects. Olin is also an investor and advisor at Bruvida, an advisor and shareholder at Upcycle and Company, and an investor at Ginger Shots. Prior to this, he was a business advisor at Connect and was a VP of business development at AI1. He holds a Bachelor in Philosophy in Interdisciplinary Studies in Mathematics, Economics and Marketing from Miami University in Ohio and a Master's of Advanced Studies in Architecture-Based Enterprise Systems Engineering from UC of San Diego. The promise of LeadCrunch is compelling. Get artificial intelligence, just pay for leads, get higher conversions, more pipeline and happier salespeople. And this triggered me, hence I invited all into my podcast. We explore how the process of targeting leads is broken in most businesses and why this cannot be solved by people alone. Beyond that, we discuss the power of building defensible differentiation and how this results into a sustainable win-win for both your customers and you as a technology provider. By listening to this podcast, you will learn three things. Firstly, that by focusing your business on a valuable outcome will help you to unlock markets you possibly didn't even consider. Secondly, 
By focusing your efforts on business model innovation will give you the fastest route to defensible differentiation. And thirdly, how giving your customers something they cannot live without is your secret to unlock double-digit monthly growth. So Olin, thank you very much for joining my podcast today. This is a thrill. I was on a podcast last week, but I think this is the first time I've ever been on a European podcast. So, so I'm honored. Thank you. Yeah, it's a European podcast recorded live from Spain. It's of course it's it's global at the at, at the end. So before we start, for my audience to get a little bit to know well to, lo- to know a little bit more about you, what drives you? What is your passion? Yeah, I am a born engineer. I just love to solve problems. I wrote my first line of computer code when I was 12. I'm now 54. So I've been doing this for a while. I've started eight companies. This is my my eighth. And you know what really excites me is solving big problems. And I'd like to leave this earth better than I found it. So I really like to find big problems that really help people live better lives. So a very idealistic way to look at it is technology that ennobles the human spirit. Nice, nice. And that's exactly why I invited you for my podcast, because that's the whole purpose of the podcast. Yeah, to talk about things, how technology can strengthen the strength of people and let them do things that, that they've not been able to do before. But I'm impressed with the fact that you've started eight companies. And I, I really, well, acknowledge the fact that if you start a company with the goal to, to solve something big, then likely a lot of good things will follow from there. I'm actually writing a book on the 10 traits of a remarkable software company. And this is sort of number one. <laughs> this is the start. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, talking about that, we don't have to go through all the eight. Otherwise, the half an hour is gone before we know it. But your latest company, which is LeadCrunch, what is the big idea behind that? What is the, the big problem you're trying to solve here? Great question. So LeadCrunch is a lookalike marketing platform for businesses that sell to other businesses. Okay. The problem we solve is that targeting, in other words, how to pick your next target for your marketing or your sales is actually very broken. And the symptom of that is salespeople usually hate the leads that are given to them by marketing because marketing is fundamentally, particularly business to business marketing, is a very difficult thing to do well. The purpose of marketing is to drive growth and to find the right opportunities for salespeople to go out and close. And finding those opportunities is what we call targeting. The identification and nurturing of them is something that businesses are horrible at doing. Mm -hmm. And I believe the highest and best purpose of artificial intelligence is an approach called human in the loop. And the idea is to actually not replace people, but to augment their capabilities. So what we've done is we've taken state-of-the-art AI for targeting, and we've taken it and applied it to business. We actually originally developed it for the military. You know, is this, yeah, and so what's really interesting is is the company started off as a medical research company. We had technical success and market failure. We pivoted and just got lucky and beat IBM Watson and Palantir to win a contract for the United States Navy. And fundamentally, we were telling the Navy what are good and bad targets. If you're in the middle of the ocean, is that contact on your radar? Is that a boatload of refugees or is it Al-Qaeda? Is it the enemy? Uh-huh. And we developed technology to help the Navy do that. But you know, quite frankly, 
you know, getting back to ennobling the human spirit didn't feel like we were ennobling the human spirit. It didn't feel very good working in the defense industry. And so we pivoted again. And this time we said, okay, where can we find a commercial application for military targeting? And I've, of course, had to be a salesperson a lot of my life. That's part of being an entrepreneur is selling your ideas. And I know personally how incredibly difficult it is to find the right audience to market to, and then how to engage that audience on the path for them to become a customer. And so that's the problem we're solving. Find the right audience, engage that audience so that they are on the path to become a customer, and hand the best, highest quality leads to sales. Well, I need to look into this myself. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We, we actually have a lot of European customers. Exactly. I can imagine. Normally, my, my next question is, what is the opportunity if you get this right? But I mean, being in the B2B space, having been in the B2B space, I really understand that particular part. The moment you get a qualified lead, your, your chance of scoring exponentially grows. And that's likely what you'll see as well, right, with your customers. Yeah, well, it's, it, uh, I think it's better to talk about our success using our own technology because, of course, our customers consider our technology to be their unfair advantage. So the public companies, of course, I can tell you Oracle, Bronto loves us. They've done a lot of case studies and so forth. Most of the large technology companies in the world use us to some degree. Our revenues have grown 20% per month for two and a half years. My God. <laughs> so that's a, that's a very nice compound growth rate. That's an indication that technology works. The proof that it works really is dependent upon the context of each company that we go into. So we really do a lot of work to make sure that we understand our customers' business so that we can actually run campaigns that work for them. And if you go talk to our customers and say, you know, why do you like lead crunch? We want them to say, look, they deliver leads that convert better than anyone else. But surprisingly, a lot of times they like us because we understand their business and we're adaptable and flexible. And that's something that a lot of technology companies really try to shoehorn everybody into one thing because they, you know, if you're in services business, it's considered to be less attractive. We take the opposite view. We believe that technology and services become the same thing. If they're in the, in the real solution is you really can't tell the difference between a technology and a service. I agree. I agree. Everything as a service. XAS, mm -hmm. they call it these days, right? Yeah. XAS. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one in itself. So 20% per month. My God. That, that is incredible. So I was, I'm still intrigued with, with how you started, medical research and then into Navy and then into this one. So, so what sparked the, the initial idea behind this? Because you started, I think, all around the same problem, right? Yeah, so the problem is really the first principle, the core problem, the root cause, is that the human brain can only handle about seven things in working memory, seven ideas. So this is called bounded rationality. It's an idea that's been around for more than 60 years. And I've been intrigued with how oftentimes in my personal life, I don't see something because it's not in my awareness, and it may be the most important thing. Uh -huh. So when we look at this from a scientific or a neurological perspective, you know, no one can possibly know everything. And it became very apparent to me, I was, I was getting married, actually, and The best man in my wedding is a German-Romanian scientist. He's a medical doctor and a PhD 
did his schooling in Germany, and he was doing research here in the United States, and he was lamenting about how hard it was to write a review paper and how it took him nine months to write a review paper. And this is a, a paper which you look at all of the research that's been done in a year and, and share it with the community. I'm like, a machine can do that. And so literally, the first use case was, let's develop a machine to help write review papers. And the idea was, a scientist has a hypothesis, and he or she can write a long-form hypothesis that would be maybe something about 500 to 1,000 words. And then the machine would then confirm or deny the hypothesis, providing evidence of peer-reviewed research evidence of whether whether it was a legitimate hypothesis or not. And the very first time we turned it on, we found a possible link between type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease, Mm -hmm. and the herpes virus, which is pretty much prevalent throughout humanity, different forms of the herpes virus. And the way the immune system responds to the herpes virus may actually be one of the reasons why the immune system attacks the beta cells, the islets of Langerhans, and the pancreas, which causes type 1 diabetes. And this research, as soon as we, we gave it to him, he, he, his eyes lit up and he said, wow, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to submit this. Within about four or five months, it got $11 million, 11 million U.S. of funding, corporate sponsorship. It got published. That research is now still ongoing. And we thought, great, let's go solve cancer. And we took that same technology to more than 300 research, researchers in the United States and could not sell a single copy. No one wanted to pay for it. We were solving the wrong problem. The problem with medical research is not medical discovery, at least not in the United States. It's about publishing and funding. And we had a tool to find answers, not help them publish more papers or find more funding. And I got disillusioned and thought, wow, this is really not something I want to be chasing after. And a friend of mine knew about our research and our, our technology and suggested we take it to the military. And we were out of money at that point. We couldn't raise money. And so we, we did, did that deal and it worked, kept our business alive. And that gave us an opportunity to find a more interesting market, which is B2B lookalike marketing. Interesting how this all evolves. And I mean, also to have the guts to kind of to do the pivots. I think to be an entrepreneur, you have to have a severe personality disorder. Yeah, of course. <laughs> if, you're, if you're really a healthy, healthy human being, psychologically healthy, you, you will not become an entrepreneur. So I think that I try to d- discourage young people from going down my path. I think that it's uh-huh. one that once they decide to go down that path, I'll help them as much as possible. But, you know, uh, I think an easier life would be to be a professor in university. <laughs> of course it is. But I mean, what do you have an, if, if you have a... Uh, Oh, well, you achieve with that. But I mean, no, uh, no offense to uh, professors in universities. Yeah, I mean, that's, well, the, the pivoting part is always of interest to me. But it's, at the end, also, I think it comes down to understanding what business are you really in. And I think that was, that was never defined as we are a, a business that is in medical research. It, it was about something, something different. And that's, that yeah, helps you then to move on. Right. Our business has always been targeting. Yeah. Find the right target in research find the right target for the military, exactly. find the right target for, for a business. So it's always been about targeting. And as we mature into this, we realize that targeting is the fundamental first principle that is broken in most businesses. Yeah. This is why Google and Facebook are so valuable, is yeah. they provide lookalike marketing, targeting for consumers 
we're doing the same thing for businesses. Let me make a small interruption here. Olin just positioned his company in a super clear way. That's an art, but it's an essential art. It can be the tipping point of your company. And later in this interview, Olin shares a couple more of his techniques to build a strong foundation for success. However, if you want to get some fresh guidance on how to position your software business in a way that is both remarkable and impactful, just drop me a note at ton.dobby at valueinspiration.com. Back to the interview. Good analogy. So, I mean, what always intrigued me about the innovation part and how you move onwards, if, if, you, if you look back and you look at your solution, what do you believe is, has been a, a kind of a fundamental element or a fundamental thing you did to make the solution as remarkable as it is today? Because 20% growth, you don't get that out of nothing. Yeah, that's a good question. I think we stumbled upon a different way of looking at the problem. Instead of looking at the problem, for instance, in, in the space that we're in, the, the emerging trend is you know, the default way that marketers think is called account-based marketing which basically says, okay, we're going to do a named account approach. We're going to go after a limited number of accounts, and we're going to focus our efforts on that, which is, which is better than going after everybody, right? Sure. Or going after just you know, a specific industry, you know, because you know, we can talk all day long about why filters such as industries are very inaccurate. So account-based marketing is definitely a better approach. But if you ask them, how do they get to their list, what accounts they're going after, it's often not very scientific. Exactly. It's often driven by opinion. So, and it, what's happened in, in the market is a lot of people are moving towards what we call a customer data platforms. And this a bunch of reasons why they're going there. Privacy is one of them, but there's third-party data, which is you buy from others. There's second-party data that you that you collect through your direct supply chain. And then there's first-party data that you collect yourself. Yeah. And the tendency is to try to take all of this data together, first, second, and third-party data, which is, by the way, a lot of data. Uh-huh. And then look for signals and you're just in this signal chase and you're going to go after all these different signals of, you know, what's the signal for someone to buy. And because you can measure something or because there's a signal doesn't necessarily mean you should measure it or that the signal is necessarily relevant. What we've came up with is approach of being able to look at the same data that everybody else has and get a more accurate answer. And the, the way we did that is we reframed the questions. So, Industry is one of the questions we reframed. What industry are you in? Let's take an example. Apple. Are they a software company? Are they a retailer? A phone company? Hardware, like as in computers? They're actually all of that that and a lot more, right? So there's no one industry they fit in. They fit in lots of different industries. But for you, if you were trying to sell to Apple, chances are, you fit into one part of their supply chain. Exactly. And so what we do is we look at their industry and we can answer the question, to what degree is Apple in these different industries? And more importantly, how do you fit into what Apple does? So you can think of it as we are finding where you fit into a supply chain. So a good metaphor is we turn companies into shapes and we understand how those shapes fit together. Okay. So how does that work? I mean, I saw something on your, on your website about vector marketing. Yeah. So technically, you can be described as high-dimensional spatial vectoring. There's lots of ways to do that. And what that means in, in simple terms is, is that we're putting a bunch of relationships 
together in high dimensional space. So we'll, let's first define what is high dimensional space. One dimension would be a line, two dimensions would be a chart to say a piece of paper, three dimensions would be a cube, four dimensions would be called a tesseract, which is basically another dimension on top of the three dimensions of up, down, X, Y, and Z, you know, the next dimension would be a tesseract or four dimensions. We're looking at things like five to 600,000 dimensions. And the key thing is, is that back to the original problem we're solving and how we think we add value is the human brain can only handle about seven ideas in working memory. So the human brain is limited to about seven dimensions. Some people may go up to nine dimensions. Some people may go down to only five dimensions, but no one's thinking in hundreds of thousands of dimensions. Sure. So the first step is our technology, we have to be able to make sense of it. If we're going to be a partner, look at our technology as the human in the loop of how do we make a human smarter? We actually need to take that 500,000 or so down to a number less than seven. And actually, the number is more like three, because guess what? You're thinking about other things other than us. Even right now, as you're listening to my voice, your mind may be drifting and thinking about, you know, what you're going to have dinner in Spain. And I actually want to know what you're going to have dinner in Spain because I really love Spanish food. But for the purposes of this conversation, how do we take this 500,000 down to three? And that's called feature selection. And so how do you do it in a high dimensional space? Well, one of the ways you do it is think of it as shining a light through this high dimensional space where you can take a lens just like you would focus light and magnify it or distort it so that you're getting only the top dimensions, the things that are the most important to that particular question. And this is technically quite difficult to do. There's a number of techniques to do it, such as one's called topological lensing. It's kind of a a fancy way of saying, okay, we're going to look through this data. We've actually found ways to make that usable by end users. And that's what we do for our customers. So our customers now can look at a what we call the universe of all companies to generate what we call a galaxy of the ones that are most similar to their best customers. So those are the lookalikes. And then within the galaxy to understand segments of that galaxy so that you can put the right piece of information in front of the right prospect because you want to be relevant. And that's one of the key things with lookalike marketing. One of the reasons why Facebook is so successful is the ads that they put in front of me are so relevant to what I'm interested in. I had no idea that I absolutely had to buy that watch, but I did. Why? Because a lot of other people just like me bought that watch. So businesses work in much the same way. If a lot of other of my competitors are buying something, I want to know what they're buying. I want to at least get a sales pitch, make sure I don't miss out on that. True. That's what we do. That's the whole thinking behind it. Yeah, the, the, almost the fear of missing out and yeah, the belonging to that. Yeah, that's fascinating. I mean, marketing fan sitting in, sitting on this side of the of the microphone. Interesting how you how you came with all of that and the technology kind of thinking behind this and it, and it, well, the fact that of course that it really proved to work. So when you launched the product, kind of being so so far ahead of the marketplace. I mean, what did you learn from selling this? We found out that. Was, you know, the observations we looked at, you know, we, we are, have been very conservative financially. So we, we really pride ourselves on being a capital efficient company. Mm-hmm. And we've raised about 18 and a half million US dollars. 
and we're competing with companies that are have raised you know more than a hundred million dollars. So how do we beat if we're the David and they're the Goliath? How do we beat them? One of the things we did is we looked at their business model. We think that the strongest differentiator for a company is in business model innovation, not necessarily technology. Because in technology, you can always there's always going to be somebody smarter. You can always throw more engineering resources and always come up with a better solution. But it's very difficult to beat someone's business model. Exactly. And our competitors almost all try to sell subscriptions. Yep. And the problem with subscription is, is that they require the seller to know the value of what they're selling on an annual basis. Yep. And it requires the buyer to commit that they're getting a good deal at that price. Exactly. The problem with relationships is they're not a commodity, right? So really what we're in the business of it, from a customer, our customer's perspective is building relationships. Do you want to buy relationships as a subscription? I don't think so. Now, just like people don't sell you their gasoline on a subscription or their food on a subscription, things you can't live without, you know, if it's plumbing, yeah, you can buy that on a subscription. You know, you can rent your house and you can rent Salesforce and that's fine. But when it comes to something like food, you know, eating in a five-star restaurant is going to cost more than eating in a fast food restaurant. Yep. And so what we do is we sell campaigns. We sell campaigns on a cost per lead basis. And this allows us to right fit the price so that our customers get remarkable return on investment and that we can ensure that we're putting enough resources behind every lead to make that relationship meaningful. And that's a big difference from the way our, you know, our competitors in the market thinks. Of course, that made it more difficult for us to raise money. But yeah. I would argue some of the most successful companies in the world have built their businesses entirely based on delivering more value to the customer than what they're charging, yeah. building something customers can't live without. And most of them do that on transactional, not subscription basis. Completely agree. It's selling the outcome. It's a big yeah. part of uh, what I write about in my book. So uh, 100% aligned with that one. And actually wrote yeah. a blog about it this morning. So it's... Oh, wow, a book in a, in a morning? Wow, that's fast. No, 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 a blog in the morning. Oh, oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah, but, yeah. But a lot of blogs can go into one book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, completely agree. So you're selling the outcome. It's, and that's, yeah, that, that's, I think, one of the remarkable things about your company as far as I've seen is from, from, the, from the website. I actually wrote it down as a point to, uh, to ask a question about, but you brought it up yourself. Yeah, I'm all about outcomes. I think that the rest of it is, it kind of gets to be bullshit. You know, if you got a score, who knows whether the score is right or not. You know, you know if you just tell people how to segment a market, you're not really giving them actionable intelligence. Actionable intelligence is call this person at this number. This is what they're interested in, and we know it. That's what people want, and that's what we sell. Fascinating. Well, we're we're almost reaching the the top of the hour. One or two questions more. I mean, since I'm writing this book anyway about the ten traits of a remarkable software company, what do you believe are the are you what is your number one that you would pick? I'm going to steal a phrase that I saw in a great movie recently called "In Search of Greatness." It's rage to learn that there's this insatiable appetite to learn coupled with the ability to learn fast. I'm not smart enough to have all the answers on the right the right answers early on. That's why we had so many pivots. But the one thing is, is that I can control 
my passion to learn and my vulnerability to say, I don't know something. It's okay not to know something. It's okay to get something wrong. It's okay to make a mistake. What's important is to have that insatiable desire to constantly improve. I totally agree with that. And I mean, if I look at my kind of my, my career in the last two years, I've never learned so much as I do today. And I've, I'm having a ton of fun. No, nothing yeah. in the name here. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so what are you most proud of achieving so far beyond, beyond the 20% growth per month, by the way? <laughs> yeah, I think that, that, you know, that's something that, you know, our investors love to hear. And of course, they're one of the constituents that, that I need to make sure they're happy. But I'm most proud of the culture that we've developed at Lead Crunch. I'm most proud of the fact that we have a team that we're actually able to recruit and retain the top talent and that they really enjoy working together. And it's a team culture of commitment that we're really committed to each other's success. And that is really probably the greatest accomplishment, not necessarily the growth. Because with a team that has a commitment to each other, you have teamwork. And that's very difficult to find in cultures where you're recruiting the, only the top talent. So we, we have ways that we test people coming into our company. For instance, only about one out of 70 people that take our engineering test pass. So we're selective in who we get. And we want to make sure that we get people that can work together in a team. And that's, that's another filter. You know, that, that reduces that one in 70 down to more like one in a couple hundred. So we've developed methods to recruit and retain top talent. I think that's, that's what's going to drive this company to become very large. Yeah, it's the full alignment around, around every aspect of the, uh, of, of the company, kind of following the vision. I agree with that. So what's next for you? What is your greatest aspiration? Yeah, leave, leave the world better than I found it. This great kind of bookend. We've gone full circle in this uh, this conversation. You know, I think that when I look back at my life, I'm hopefully I'm fortunate enough to live long enough that I can look back at my life and see that it mattered, that I had an impact. And that's not going to be measured with dollars. That's going to be measured by people. My measure of that will be what impact did the people that I worked with go on to have outside of this company? So I always ask our employees, how is this company the most valuable stepping stone in your career? And in that question is the implication that all of our time together is temporary and that if we have a very valuable stepping stone, that you're going to go on and do something even greater. Fascinating. Like that one. So, I mean, I think a lot of people that have been listening to this are kind of curious about like who, who, what's behind this company? So what, where can they go and find out more about LeadCrunch and say hi to you? Yeah, leadcrunch.ai. I'd love to get in touch. Yeah, I'm always interested in meeting new people. My Twitter handle is at Olin Hyde, O-L-I-N-H-Y-D-E. I'm on LinkedIn, Olin Hyde, and would love to hear from anyone and everyone. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for the interview. It was uh, truly inspiring. I'm meeting a lot of very inspiring people, but this was, I like this one. <laughs> well, thank my, you so much, Tom. I want to come visit Spain. My wife is Puerto Rican and we speak Spanish in our home. My Spanish is awful, so I've not made you suffer through <laughs> my, my bad American interpretation of a Puerto Rican accent. I don't know if it, you can really call what I speak Spanish, but I love your country and I love your culture. Yeah, but I'm Dutch by origin, by the way. I'm also speaking your sort of Puerto Rican Spanish here. <laughs> <laughs>
That's great. Okay. We both we both are proud in our ability to mangle another language. That's great. Exactly. Exactly. Well, thank you very much for this. Okay. Thanks again. Bye-bye. Wow. This was fun. I learned a great deal from all those insights, and I hope actually you did the same for you. I want to thank you for tuning into this podcast. I had the honor to speak to Olin Hyde, CEO of LeadCrunch. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strength of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise, and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.